Well, if you have been reading along with that schedule that we've been using to read through the New Testament in a year, hopefully you recognize this because you've got one. We are actually this week, it was Romans 14, 15, and 16, and then 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, and we're moving on into Corinthians. And if you read through Romans, or if you study Romans at all, you know there's no way you can do it justice in just a couple, three weeks. But we're going to try to stay in Romans this week, and then we're heading to wherever the Lord leads next week. How's that? Before we start, I want you to just take a look around the room. and Think about what it is you see. Go ahead and look around the room. Just look at the most important things in the room. Hopefully, as you look around the room, you see a bunch of people, brothers and sisters in Christ, or people on their way to becoming our brothers and sisters in Christ. But if you look along, you don't have to look very long to notice that no one looks as good as you do. (laughs) Or at least they don't look the same as you do, right? We're all so different. We look different, we think different. And when you look at people like that, you know, I can look at you and and I can see you and I can see what you look like. I can see kind of your body type. I can see the, the hair or the lack of hair on your head. We can see those things. But there is a story, a backstory in each one of our lives that very few people know. And it's really different. And guess what? That backstory in our lives, our past, really impacts the way we think and makes us a whole lot different than everybody else in this room. You know, if you even go into your family where there's, there's genetics that should cause us to be a little bit similar at least, we still look around in our families and everybody looks different. And, they, and believe it or not, they all act different. There's such differences. And sometimes, sadly, when we come to church, for example... We expect everybody to behave the same way. Are Christians, as Christians, are we all supposed to be the same? No. Thank goodness. That would be really boring. But it might be kind of smooth sailing if we were all the same. But we're not. And we're never going to be. And sometimes there gets to be a problem because in our human nature, when I look around and you look around and we have a tendency to see, yeah, they're different. Then we watch, maybe, maybe we get a glimpse of the way people live their lives. I'm glad you're not all my neighbor. Ben has sworn to secrecy. We look around at the way we live our lives and all of a sudden our human nature causes us to start judging. Start comparing them to a standard that I can't even come close to living up to. But we we have a tendency to start judging their behavior, and then we go right from that to judging their relationship with the Lord. If they were really saved, if they were really a Christian, if they really loved Jesus, we start to criticize their decisions. Not us, I'm just talking in general, the church. We would never do that, but some churches do. And it brings strife and division and unity leaves the room, leaves the church, leaves the body of of Christ. 
And when that happens, well, all you got to do is look around and listen to stories, how many churches split, how much disunity and strife there are in churches, where there shouldn't be, of all places, there shouldn't be. When we look at this, we need to understand there are certain things that we, we really shouldn't put up with. There are false teachings. There are certain essential doctrines. You know, we've got to realize there are what we might call a lot of casual Christians out there that may not be living the way that they could be or maybe that the Lord would like them to be. But you know what? That's between them and the Lord primarily. So much of what we do and the way we come to our, our decisions or our conclusions is actually based way more on personal preferences than it is on Bible doctrine. There are so many things, and I've been in a whole bunch of those debates over the years, that we're going to sit and argue about things that really, when it comes right down to it, if someone just pressured you and pressed you to say, okay, open up your Bible and show me where that's at, you'd go, well, I'm not sure, but it's in there somewhere. And besides, just because I say it's true should be good enough for you. We have to make sure that we can discern between what's my personal preference and what's my opinion and what's really, really said in the Bible. There are so many things that we as churches and we as Christians argue about and debate about and split over that are not clear in Scripture. There's some simple ones, but like, like when's Jesus coming back? Are we pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, no-trib? I don't know. Let's get together and argue. Because I'm right. You're wrong. You know what? If the Bible was crystal clear, we wouldn't argue anymore. That the essentials we need to guard and protect. You know, we need to give people room for their conscience to discern the principles and matters of conviction. As I said, I, I, I hesitate in a message like this because we can go from license to legalism or legalism to license real quick. But there is liberty in Christ. There is a freedom in Christ, and we're all at different places. The way you receive things is going to be different than the way I might receive things for a whole bunch of reasons, as I've just said. Personal preferences, my background, your background. How long you've been a Christian versus how short a time you've been a Christian. How long you've been actually reading and studying the Word of God or how little you know about the Word of God. But there are essentials that we need to agree on. But I'm going to focus like Paul did in chapter 14 of Romans more on the non-essentials. So the, the title of my message was simply Unity, Not Uniformity. We're all different. We're always going to be. But we should be in unity. You know, <clears throat> there is a Martin Luther King quote. When it comes to deciding what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, what we should do, what we shouldn't do, he said this once, Cowardice asks the question, is it safe? Consensus asks, is it popular? Boy, how often when we're faced with a decision do we fall into one of those two categories? Well, what's the safe thing to do here? It doesn't necessarily matter whether it's right or wrong, but what's safe? What's the consensus? What is the peer group? What are the people around me going to think? Is it, is it going to be a popular decision or not? And the last part of his quote is, but conscience asks, 
is it right? The Holy Spirit often works through our conscience. But if you remember in, in, in Romans chapter 1, a few weeks ago, we can't always rely on our conscience because our conscience is not infallible. As a matter of fact, in Romans chapter 1, it told us there can be such a thing as a seared conscience. In other words, our conscience becomes so seared by sin that we can't distinguish between right and wrong. But the, nonetheless, the Holy Spirit often speaks to us through our conscience, t- leading us to make decisions, what's right, what's wrong. We need to be very, very sensitive to the Holy Spirit in our own lives as our conscience is being you know, prodded along in a certain direction. And it's also very, very, very important that we give regard to other people's conscience. I am not called to be their conscience, and neither are you. And we're going to look at Paul addressing these, some of these issues. And we need to be this way, especially in the area of Christian liberty. And again, if you know me, I tend to lead towards legalism at times. Everything's supposed to be black and white. Don't do this. We should be able to do that. I've been very, very convicted in my own life. You know what? There's liberty in Christ. My fear is as soon as I say that, we all take license and think, gee, we can do whatever we want to do. No, that is absolutely not true. The Bible gives us very clear instruction on very many things. We don't have to listen to our conscience. We can go by what the Word of God says. But there are so many things, so many things. And if your opinion is different than mine, you're wrong. Right? (laughs) Am I the only one that's that way? Greg and I were having supper. Cindy's brother, Greg's here with us, and we were having supper last night, and I forget what it was, but he was saying, boy, this is really good. This is, we're eating. This is really good. You remember what it was? And I'm thinking, I don't like that crap. <laughs> and he's saying, this is really good. How can you not like this? This is really good. And I'm biting my tongue now because I really don't like that stuff. I'm, that crap words gets me in trouble with some kids. I really don't like that stuff. So we could go into a long debate. Is it good or is it bad? We're never going to solve that problem. Paul faced the same issues nearly 2,000 years ago. And with food, of all things. With days of the week, which all, with all, of all things. And it's interesting to me to see how Paul handled it. And I think there's a really clear lesson in there for how we need to handle it. So, When Paul deals with conflict in the early Roman church, we're going to look at two specific contexts that he used. Eating certain foods. Now, we don't know exactly the background, why there was a problem with this. Most people would agree that it could have been amongst people who, uh, Jewish people in particular, who knew that there were clean and unclean foods under the law. And they also knew that even though an animal may have been sacrificed to an idol, but the whole animal wasn't burnt up in the sacrifice, you don't eat that. You don't eat food sacrificed to idols or even at the temple. So that could have been the reasons they were arguing about what food to eat, but we don't know for sure. And then, of course, what days of the week? Well, this week, so what, what day of the week are we supposed to worship on? Are we right doing it on Sunday, the first day of the week? Or are the Seventh-day Adventists right that we should do it on Saturday, the last day of the week? Which is right? Which is correct? 
let's argue and start denominations and, and, and can't come to any agreement. When the Bible isn't, you know, what day of the week should we worship? I think any of them that end in Y is the day we're supposed to worship. Right? But we argue about all these things, and Paul was facing these issues. And when he talks about the issues, one of the things that may surprise you is he's not very concerned about what it is they're arguing about. He doesn't really care who's right or who's wrong. As a matter of fact, you're going to see he doesn't take sides. What he is concerned about is the danger of disunity arising in the body of Christ. That's what he's concerned about. In the early church 2,000 years ago, and it's still happening today, almost 2,000 years later. In Romans 15, which we're not going to spend much time there, but I want to just read a couple verses. It says this. Paul's writing this. He says, May the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another, according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, and we'll come back to this verse a little later, therefore, accept one another just as Christ accepted us to the glory of God. How perfect were you when Christ accepted you? How perfect was I when Christ accepted me? Wow. Most of us say it wasn't quite perfect. And yet so often we look at other brothers and sisters in Christ, and now I'm talking about brothers and sisters in Christ, not the unbelievers. That's who Paul's talking to. We look at them and say, they don't get it. They, they must not even be saved, for goodness sakes. Anybody knows better than that. Paul's saying, we're to accept others, our brothers and sisters in Christ, because if they're truly a brother and sister in Christ, guess what? They've already been accepted by Jesus warts and all. So Paul's dealing with this, and his concern is unity. He looks at Christians at different levels of spiritual maturity, diverse backgrounds, things that have happened, and it all will affect our attitudes. So we're going to look at at chapter 14, and we're going to look primarily at the first nine verses. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 first. And if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to look along, but they will be up here. Now accept the one accept, receive, the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. Think about that for a second. Oh, come on, you're welcome. Let me pick you apart. Let me judge all your bad ideas and your wrong theology. Don't do it for that reason. He says, one man has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. I'd like to give you my interpretation of that. (laughs) But I won't. Let not him who eats regard with contempt he who does not eat. And let him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and stand he will. For the Lord is able to make him stand. When I look at that in verse 1, first, notice, accept the one weak in faith. Accept them. Receive them. Don't look at them as if they're a leper. Receive them. 
Now, it's interesting, and we'll look at it a little bit more in verse 2, but the weak in faith here is the vegetarian. I'm not thinking that. But what it's saying is the weak in faith is the one who's getting legalistic. Paul tells you in verse 1 of chapter 15, I'm one of the strong. And Paul let it go. He didn't care whether you ate meat or vegetables. He didn't care what day of the week you worshipped. And he is one of the strong. Those of us that tend to get legalistic is a demonstration of our weakness in our faith. I am judging you. And as I judge you, therefore I will be judged. It's a little scary. So he says, receive them. The focus in this first part of the chapter is on those who are weak in the faith. And we're to receive them, love them, allow them to come and be received with open arms and not to judge them. Not to judge them. We need, we need to. And the more mature we are as a Christian, the more difficult this can be, but the more important that it is that we differentiate between my personal preferences and opinions and truths that are in the Scripture. If someone comes to me and says, you know, I don't think we need to argue about whether Jesus is really the Son of God or not, we're going to argue. But if somebody comes to me with some non-essential doctrine and says, you know, you guys, you don't meet in the midweek service? What's wrong with you? You don't have a Wednesday night church and Sunday night church? Sunday morning church, Saturday for good measure. We're not going to argue about that. I said, bless you, go to another church that does those things if that's what you want. But we, we need, there are those doctrines, but we need to know which ones are essentials and which aren't. And it's interesting when you look at this, Paul assumes there's going to be trouble. He just assumes. There are going to be debatable issues in the word of God. So it's not new, and it should never surprise us. That's why it's so important that we guard unity in the body of Christ above all else. Guard unity. Because we are the body of Christ. And as we come together as one, we represent the body of Christ. When we start to divide and strife and division, we're tearing apart the body of Christ. The human tendency of those that are weak in the flesh or weak in their faith. And I need to distinguish here between what kind of faith they're talking about. The faith here isn't our faith whether we believe in Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior or not. Here it's talking about the faith that will guide our conscience and our decision-making. So it says those who are weak in their faith tend to be the ones that get most judgmental. Tend to be the most judgmental. Tend to be the most critical. Because one of the primary truths of Scripture is, above all these other things, put on love. Love. There are a lot of people that can have some good theology, good doctrine, been Christians for a long time, and they are nothing but judgmental and critical, legalistic, pharisaical. And they're not doing anything good for the kingdom of God. Matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 13 basically says, without love, you're a clanging gong. Without love, you are nothing. Over and over and over. Now, I'm not talking about anything goes type of love. 
Our essential doctrines have to be sound. But all that other stuff, think about the last time you had a debate with someone about spiritual things. What was it about? Was it about an essential doctrine? Or was it about your opinion versus their opinion? How did it end? And there's nothing wrong with sharing our opinions as long as it's done in love. Knowing who we're sharing them with and how we're sharing them. Verse 2, the weak in faith, as I said here, the weak in faith is those who are eating the vegetables. And again, it probably had something to do with the Jewish dietary laws and all of that. They were probably doing what they thought was the right thing. But what's really cool here when you look at it, Paul doesn't judge them. He doesn't commend the strong and he doesn't demean the weak. Not at all. His issue is unity. Unity. Verse 3, Paul teaches us that we need to accept what God accepts. Now, that shouldn't be that controversial, should it? If you had time, it'd be good to just write down some of the things that God accepted in you before you accepted him. What were you like? What were the issues of your life? How were you living before you accepted Jesus? And really what that means is when he accepted you. And he's saying, you know what? If I can accept you, there's a lot of things out there that we need to accept and love. Because we cannot put expectations on people. God's job is to do that. He's the one to judge. You know, and he goes on and he says, if the motive or the action is a, is a personal matter, Paul says, don't make it an issue. If you want to be pre-trib and you want to be post-trib and you want to be mid-trib and you don't think there's a tribulation coming at all, well, I think there's some error in there somewhere. We can't all be right. But is it doctrine that's essential? Essential to salvation. The gospel message. Paul's concern, again, reaction to what we're debating and we're discussing. And then in verse 4, he says, who are we to judge? And I've read that scripture many times, and I remember one time thinking of all these about masters and slaves, and sometimes verses like that get thrown out there and say, gee, back in Bible times, they believe in slaves and the master and all this stuff. When you read verse 4, you've got to understand one thing. Who's the master and who are the servants? Who are you to judge another person's master? Who's my master? No, it's not Cindy. Who's my master? Jesus, God, is my master. I belong to him. I am his servant. And this is what Paul is saying. Brothers and sisters in Christ, who are you to judge the master's servants? Maybe we should let him be the judge. He's the only one that can be impartial, truly fair and just. And that's what Paul is saying in verse 4. Who are you to judge the servant of another? Who are you to judge one of God's children? He stands, and he stand he will, for the Lord will make him stand. Just think about that. The Lord's going to make him stand. The Lord's going to come to his defense. The Lord's going to do what needs to be done in their life. It's not your job, not my job. And in verses 5 and 6, he says, I'm going to read them. One man regards one day over another. Another regards every day alike. Let each man be fully convinced in his mind. 
Really, you could just about put anything in you there you want that's a non-essential. It didn't have to be a day to worship. You could put anything in there. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who serves it for the Lord, and he who eats, excuse me, does so for the Lord, for, the, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat. And he gives thanks to God. Once again, Paul is saying, I don't care. I don't care. If you want to eat, eat. If you don't want to eat, don't eat. If you want to worship on Monday, worship on Monday, Sunday, Saturday, Tuesday. That really doesn't matter. He makes absolutely no attempt to say which is correct. But what does he say? Be fully convinced in your own mind. It needs to be a matter of conviction, and whatever you do, does it honor God, and are you giving thanks? One needs to be convinced in his own heart that what they're doing, they're doing is the right action to take. Paul responds to both opinions with love. With love. There's a very old quotation. This goes back to somewhere around 1627. Uh, one of the church fathers, Augustine, usually gets credit for it, but it looks like it was even before him. Another Lutheran thir- theologian named Rupatiris Melodinius. But the name doesn't matter. What it says is pretty, pretty important. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In everything, love. Everything, love. In essentials, unity. Non-essentials, liberty. Now, we can, we can get defensive right away, and every time we see that word liberty, some people say, I can do anything I want. Of course you can't. Well, you can, but you shouldn't. The Bible gives us very clear direction in so many things. When you read the book of Romans, it's a book on really how to live your life to please God. He gives us an unbelievable blueprint of how to live a life that will glorify God. But it doesn't cover every detail. It doesn't cover every detail. There are still going to be areas that I need to be led by my conscience. Should you drink alcohol or shouldn't you? Boy, we could line up and split a whole bunch of churches. You shouldn't let that stuff pass through your lips. Well, one's not going to hurt anything. And if one's good, guess what? More than one's really good. Now, most of us know where that, but you know what? I, can't, I would love to find something in the Scripture. I've told people this so many times. I'd love to find the Scripture that I could read and say, Thou shalt not ever drink alcoholic beverage. But that would be personal opinion because I deal with the damage it does in people's lives all the time. But it doesn't say that. Drunkenness, there I can go because the Bible says. But we could argue about can you drink alcohol or shouldn't you drink alcohol. We can try to parse the words in the Hebrew and the Greek and the Aramaic and we still can't come to one conclusion. Paul says, let their conscience be their, be their guide. Now, if we're talking drunkenness, again, the Scripture is clear. There are so many things. But Paul does not rebuke, doesn't take sides. He just loves them. Protect unity. Protect unity. And he says in verse 6, In all you do, we are to do it for the Lord. What does your conscience say? I'm picking on the drinking, I guess. What does your conscience say about drinking? 
Can you drink? Shouldn't you drink? Is it okay to drink? Let your conscience be your guide. The Lord will show you, depending on your past, where you're at in your life, what's been in your family members, all those things are going to play a part, and we're going to come to two different conclusions, and I'm going to say, are you comfortable with that? Give thanks to God. Let their conscience be your guide. And then in verses 9 and 10, let's see, go back here. Verse 7. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to him. We are the Lord's. When you look at that, verse Verse 9, for it, to this end Christ died and lived again, and he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. Now, I don't know how you think about this or if you've ever thought about it, but you know, nothing shall separate us from the love of God, not even life or death. Nothing separates us from the love of God. Whether we live, whether we die, the important thing Paul is saying is relationship, relationship, relationship. Let your conscience be your guide and do it unto the Lord and do it with thanksgiving. And let your conscience be your guide. How will it affect your relationship, whatever that non-essential is? Be fully convinced. We belong to the Lord. Nothing separates us. Really, what Paul is saying is, and we need to hear this, we all need to hear this over and over and over and over. Paul's not so concerned about who we are what we've done, what we're doing, what our past was. He is concerned about whose we are. Who do we belong to? That's the key. The enemy will try to torment us with all that other junk. Our past gets constantly brought up and thrown into our face. Look who you are. Now, who do you belong to? And this is what he's saying here. Who do you belong to? He's the master. I don't want to judge the master's servants, and I need to remember who I belong to. I belong to him. I'm his. Whether in life or in death, Paul is saying, we belong to him. We are the Lord's. And you know what? We're supposed to live for the one we belong to. That should keep us in that safe place on the road between license and legalism. We want to live for the Lord. We want to bring glory and honor to him in our own lives, to discern what it is he wants us to do. And I want to read a couple of verses that follow, but just to touch on them, because I think this is so important in, in terms of our conscience. Our conscience. Romans 14.10. Why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. I can get so bent out of shape, and if you're not careful, you might do the same thing about somebody else's positions or behavior. And I forget that they're going to stand before the Lord one day and be held accountable for everything. I'm not talking about the salvation judgment. That's not what I'm talking about. Judging our works for our rewards. I'm going to stand there too. And I I just as soon not have to review all the people I've judged before the Lord and justify that you know, your Holy Spirit's good, God, but I was better. Not, not a place I want to stand. 
verses 12 through 14. Actually, just 12, 13. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or stumbling block in a brother's way. And this is what I just want to stress for a minute, is that whole idea when our conscience is trying to be our guide is one of the other things that we need to take into consideration is, is what I'm doing or going to do going to be a stumbling block for a weaker brother? Is it going to be a stumbling block? I don't want something that I could do in the liberty that I have in Christ to be a stumbling block for a weaker brother or sister. So my behavior, even though Paul's saying, even though I could do those things, we know many times he didn't. Wherever he went, he was aware of the people he was with and around. And whatever he was going to do was not going to be a stumbling block to cause them to not draw near to Christ. And we need to be careful in our own lives that we don't use our liberty in such a way that it becomes a stumbling block for brothers and sisters in Christ. That makes sense. I think it's so important. Because we do have freedom in so many things. We do have liberty in so many things. But my freedom and liberty could cause someone else to fall. And, it, and it's not just because you're the pastor. But guess what? If, well, the pastor does it. Must be okay. Well, maybe. But even if it's okay for me, it might not be okay for that person. Or Mike just may be doing something he shouldn't be doing in the first place. So we want to be really, really careful. And that brings us back to Romans 14, 23, where he says, whatever is not from faith is sin. And this connects to him saying, whatever it is you're going to do, be confident, be sure in your heart that it's a good thing for you to be doing. Because if I don't have the faith that what I'm doing is the right thing, he's saying whatever is done not in faith is sin. So there's times when we're tempted or enticed by peer pressure or whatever else it might be to do something. Okay, let's, let's, it's not bad. It's okay. I, I think it's fine. I, I'll, it should be good. So we do it. Did I have faith and confidence that it was the right thing to do? Now, not much faith, not much confidence. I wasn't convinced in my heart necessarily. I just convinced my mind that it would be okay. We need to be careful in all of those things. Not get into legalism. Not get into license doing anything we want. But walking in that place of liberty where there's so much freedom, but there needs to be a little bit of a border or a boundary of I do not want my behavior, my actions, my freedom, my liberty to be a stumbling block for anyone else. As we continue to grow as a church, and we believe we're going to continue to grow, you know, not many churches survive building programs. Did you know that? Isn't that crazy? Not many pastors survive building programs. Generally, he gets run out. We survived one. We're probably facing another one here down the road. Perfect fertile ground for division and strife. As we continue to grow, guess what? There's going to be more and more people come through these doors that don't look like you. They don't think like you. 
They haven't been a Christian as long as you. They don't know the Word of God as hopefully as well as you know it. Their life is filled with scars and hurt and pain. Their behavior, they don't know what it means to be a good mom or dad because they've never had it modeled in their own lives. We're going to see more and more people like that. And boy, we can do one or two things when they come through that door. Judge them or love them. And the Bible's clear. We're called to love them. And I guarantee you there is no better evangelism program than loving them and then sharing the gospel. So we need to keep our eyes on unity. We don't tolerate sin. We don't uh, teach false gospels, false doctrine. We need to guard that. It's our, our, our whole job as a body to make sure Mike or Bob or whoever's preaching isn't speaking heresy. But at the same time, we're going to be different from one another. There's going to be lifestyles that might not be what they should be, kind of like mine and yours. But we need to love people. Again, Paul didn't take sides. He didn't choose. He didn't elevate one and put the other down. He just said, you know what? Love each other. Stay in unity. Love each other. Stay in unity. And that's Paul's message in all of his epistles as we continue on through the New Testament. Okay, we're going to close here in prayer, but I just want to say if you've got a few minutes, you might like watching the video of VBS that Owen's going to put on the screen. And at the end of the slideshow part of it, there's a short actual video of what took place. Um, If the kids are here, when they come back, they'll probably hear the music and start going crazy. But uh, feel free to stick around for a few minutes if you wanted to watch. Lord, we thank you and praise you that you accepted us just as we were. And God, that each one of us stands before you as a holy God, knowing that we are works in progress, but in your eyes, we are perfectly righteous and holy because of Christ. God, I pray that that truth helps us to live out our lives in such a way that we fulfill the destiny you have before us that will bring glory and honor to you. God, that we are loved unconditionally, that our past doesn't determine who we are. Your death and resurrection and the invitation that you gave us the grace to accept determines whose we are and we belong to you. Father, we pray you give us greater wisdom and give us grace to love the most unlovable amongst us. That we can truly be the the hands and feet of Jesus and that we can teach and, and speak the truth and love to all who would come across our path. Lord, we pray this week as we go our separate directions, you keep us, watch over us, keep us safe. We pray for those who are on the road traveling even now with vacations and those that will be going on vacations, keep them safe. And Lord, we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.